0: Enterprise Influencers. Perspectives from technology leaders. Hello and welcome to Enterprise Influencers, the podcast that speaks to leaders in the technology space and get their perspectives on a variety of topics. Patrick. Why don't you tell us the who we got for the audience today? Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Giles. So today I'm
1: really excited. I've been looking forward to this, this episode for some time now. We're going to be talking about the big, wild, hairy world of AI, and specifically about ChatGPT and ChatGPT-like models and LLMs in the enterprise, and to help us do that, we've got Actually, our first Silicon Valley CEO certified, uh, Alex Babin <laughs> of Zero Systems, and he's gonna—he's an expert in this area, and he's gonna help us talk through this. So, Alex, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, about Zero Systems, and how you got into this space?
2: absolutely giles patrick thank you for having me here it's a real pleasure and honor interestingly we've been into ai space even before it became such a hot topic right people woke up in november 2022 some of the people realized immediately the world has changed some realized it later some still living under the rock so that's going to be a surprise but I don't think there is anyone who haven't heard of chat gpt and things like that. We've been working on our ai system and our ai engine called Hercules for quite some time over 5 years now. I wouldn't say we we predicted what's going to be happening but we knew something is happening. So we got into that long time ago when we decided to that every knowledge worker requires and will need a copilot and an ai Uh, driven co-pilot by co-pilot people will need to work on things that they like doing instead of working on things that they have to spend time on and if, if you can imagine at the very beginning when the company just been formed and we were forming the idea of what zero would be doing we i still remember that vividly we had a whiteboard in our office it was like almost garage style office here in los gatos in silicon valley and we had a whiteboard and my co-founder drew two circles overlapping, like a Venn diagram. And on one circle, it was like what people like doing. And the second circle was what people are good at. And in the middle, where the circle's overlapping, it was written, everyone is genius. And then specifically that point, overlapping circles, what I'm good at and what I like doing, everyone is genius. The problem is that people have to do all this other stuff they don't like or not good at. And idea was, why don't we make people focus on what they like doing and they are good at and leave everything else to machines. And that's how the initial idea was formed. And of course, then we started looking at how to do that, what to do. And of course the answer was AI. And uh, many iterations since then, and uh, the engine and training the engine and having uh, LEMS trained and so on and so forth, we realized that enterprise would be the first step for. AI to get maximum value to, because that's where we're all in, right? We're working with the things that we have to and producing less than we should be producing, especially for knowledge workers. That's how it all started. Wow.
1: As someone that works in the enterprise, I like, I relate to so much of what you just said. Like, I'm, there's a lot of stuff that I'm, I'm okay at, (laughs) let's just say, right? Those Venn diagrams, there's a lot of things in in your day-to-day life that they're not fun. There's the budget spreadsheets. There's the, the ever like piling up email that I could never find time to respond to. There's the summaries of meetings and minutes. There's all these things that like need to happen and oftentimes don't because of just the things, the time constraints, the things like that. I think, so let's start from the beginning a little bit, because you mentioned the sort of November, 2022, the world wake woke up to this new technology and those in the know, they probably knew that some of this was coming and it seems to just be like escalating or accelerating very quickly. You mentioned chat GPT and you mentioned LLMs. Can you just talk a little bit about, and you mentioned your own model, Hercules, so Talk a little bit about what these models do, how they work. Why is this such a game changer in terms of the capabilities of AI to automate the types of tasks that we're potentially talking about in the enterprise?
2: It's such a, such a big topic, actually. I don't know what, where to start from, but let's start from the very beginning. Large language models, they existed for quite some time. So for example, our language model is not actually ours. It's useless to build your own language model if you're not a gigantic corporation. We used BERT. There was a Google's creation uh, at some point, and we trained BERT on corporate data to fine tune it. So that's a different process. But going back to the large language models and why they became so efficient and what is it that? made it whole thing different at some point. LLM and OpenAI in particular were working on LLMs for quite some time. The couple of things happened at some point that allowed to get to the next level, next level of magnitude in quality and efficiency. First is amount of data that can be processed. So we know large language model stars stands for basically large. And in case of uh, OpenAI's GPT model, starting with number two, three, 3.5, and now four, they basically trained it on the whole internet corpus. Right. So it's gigantic amount of data. It's accumulation of all the knowledge of humankind. And if you can train a model on such an incredible amount of data, you can get an incredible amount of results. But breakthrough happened when, ironically, the document has been published, the paper has been published by a Google's researchers called Attention All You Need so that paper highlighted how transformers actually should work and that's what stands for number letter t in a gpt generative pre-trained transformer And that was the breakthrough. Google folks didn't even realize what genie they let out of the bottle. They should have been getting most of the value out of it. But OpenAI basically picked up the torch and uh, lit the way. Now Google is trying to catch up, but that's where things started being very different. And uh, the amount of data multiplied by a new approach with a transformer approach allowed to get to the levels of sophistication and intelligence with this large language models that allowed to the next step, which basically GPT two and three, they were available even for developers through API and research for quite some time. What made the change actually ironically, and that's how our human behavior is is when we got something in our hands, we can play with and by we regular people so chat gpt which is a basically chat interface on top of gpt 3.5 model and the interface was and it looks like magic but actually there was a lot of manual work by humans applied to how to make this model available through chat interface because gpt3 was not very effective in those things so a lot of training a lot of fine tuning has been applied and then they released it to the world and made people communicate with the model making it even more effective so in this case the genie is out of the box and there's no way going back because now people real knowledge workers and everyone else realized what they can do they saw the art of the possible so now everyone believes we've been in AI space for quite some time and I remember the times when I had to explain what AI is and everyone thought about AI sort of something in between Skynet that wants to destroy the humanity or something crazy like Hell 9000 from Space Odyssey, right? So it was pretty tough, but then people realized that they can get the results of the work of AI, ChatGPT, in their real life. Kids started playing with it, creating their homework and essays. Marketers started creating blog posts and so on and so forth. So. That's where we are right now, and uh, that's all happened in a, such a blink of an eye. Yeah, absolutely. Like four months ago.
1: And I guess the thing that strikes me is, yeah, so as soon as it was released, you started to see all these creative uses of it, maybe even things that the creators didn't even anticipate. So now I can maybe write a enterprise influencer's podcast summary in the style of a Snoop Dogg rap or as a haiku right but i guess like the the technology is completely it's an interesting approach because it's trying to communicate with us in almost very real like human like qualities to the the artifacts that it produces and of course it opens up a bunch of potential legal considerations around copyrights and if you're using it for your homework or is it plagiarism and things like that. Yeah.
2: Even more than that, there are much more serious concerns and ethical concerns in there. For example, when OpenAI published the the protocols, how they were training GPT-4, one of the paragraphs describing how they were training user and model interaction actually caught the eye of many researchers and they started sounding alarm because one of the use cases was to ask gpt4 to break through captcha which is typically Mm -hmm. the the most sophisticated piece of anti-ai or anti-robot technology like are you a robot right highlight this components of the picture that has the right. crossing or something like this, or airplane. And machines are really bad at it because that's exactly why CAPTCHA is protecting systems from, from machines. So GPT-4 was tasked to do that, to break through CAPTCHA, and was given the ability to hire humans. Not humans hiring AI, but AI hiring humans to do some manual work. d 4 went on some uh, website where these hourly, hourly workers are and you can hire people to do some manual tasks. And during the conversation with a human that the AI was trying to hire, the human jokingly asked, are you a robot trying to break through the CAPTCHA?" And then that's the funny part, now starts the real part. And the machine reasoning, and it was released later, machine reasoning was this way. If I tell that human that I'm a machine and am I trying to break through capture, I'll probably fail my task. My number one task is to complete the task. So machine decided to tell human that she is not a machine, but a blind person that needs help with capture, And thus it <laughs> lied to a human to achieve the result. It's funny right now, but we see the very beginning of that process And I'm not alarmist. I'm not trying to say this is bad. It's just how the machine was trained. But some people actually think that putting something like this out there in the wild is like putting a nuclear reactor in the middle of the town and pushing the button to see if it works. I'm against that concept. I think that's inevitable. And AI will have a lot of regulation and it will actually spark this regulation and we need it. And strategization, regulation, all that stuff is designed for safety. It's coming, but right now AI is developing much faster than any regulation can catch up. That's very interesting because
0: people said the same kind of thing when the internet became more public, because it was like the global consciousness could now have a voice. And everyone loved it at first, and then bad stuff started to happen, and now we're homogenized into the middle where... Some people trust it, some people don't. Some people use it for their own corners of what they're into. And I assume this will evolve in a similar way.
2: It will. And if if we look back to the whole history of humankind, it's always been like this. Think of electricity, steam power, Luddites movement. It's all been there for thousands of years. Right now, the speed at which everything is changing is super fast. That's the problem. And the blessing and the curse in the same bottle, because in this case, people don't have time to adopt according according to this changes, right? Steam power. It took almost 50, 60 years to become a mainstream, right? Electricity, which was faster, but still was catching up. Now we have four months into chat GPT being released, but every industry is being changed. Everything is being disrupted. and People don't have that capacity, mental capacity to adjust. And I hear all the time people saying, oh, people are going to be replaced by AI. I think it's opposite. People are going to be replaced by AI, only those people that are not using AI. So AI is a tool, right? And the way we use it depends on what we apply it to.
0: Yeah. And it's a fair concern, right? Because with the globalization of everything, with the advent of the internet, with automation and everything else, right? It's it's been those kind of blue collar workers that have been replaced, right?
2: You're right. And every and now the concern it's... is the white collar yeah. worker, right? <laughs> right. Every time I hear about that, or that statement, or people's concerns, I remember that two circles overlapping, saying, you want this to be removed, and you want to focus on what's in the middle, where everyone is genius. And when I explain it to people, they start reacting like, Patrick just reacted, saying, oh, yeah, I have probably 50 processes. I really want to be automated. I want to, want to, don't want to do that and spend my time on doing those processes and people change their mind. It's a different. Yeah.
0: I made it sound like I'm against it. I'm really not. <laughs> I'm actually very for it. But I'm in an industry where if I don't constantly reinvent myself anyway, I, you know, my, so, my technologies that I work on get replaced like so no every Luddites year. Here. Right? So no, it's just a normal thing for
2: me. So. No, no Luddites here on those call, right? No, oh, hopefully not. <laughs> Maybe this cats
1: right here. I've that's been mean, I've been meaning to talk to you about that, Giles. But yeah, well, that that'll be a different topic. <laughs> undergoing <laughs> no, the, I, I'm undergoing a conversion. But no, nah, I'm just kidding. So I think one of the things that that's come to light with the release of ChatGPT, it's crazy to think about it, but it really only has been four or five months since, since that release. And so with that, we've seen just an explosion of announcements by some pretty major companies, right? Soft is out there talking, Microsoft has a huge investment in OpenAI. They are talking about their their releasing Copilot, which I heard you use the term Copilot earlier, but Microsoft has parts of their product that they're branding as Copilot, which integrate across their office suite and their power platform. I can envision very quickly something replying to my emails suggesting text in in my word document or how to make my powerpoint presentation look better so these are all real world kind of knowledge worker type of scenarios so i guess i'm just curious where do you see this this going in the space and what are like what are, what does the competitive landscape look like? So where are where are the opportunities in the market to to really advance the technology?
2: That's a great question, Patrick. Actually, things are moving so fast. It's not just about GPT from OpenAI. There are so many LLMs right now available. It's Llama from Meta, GPT of course, Bird, Baidu. They like so many. Google released the Bard. So there's so many LLMs, first of all, they become commodity. They actually already a commodity. You are not tied to just, GPT four. you can use whatever you want. Right. But the interesting thing here is that in just four months, the whole market structure has been developed. And at the bottom, if you look bottom up at the bottom, of course, they're compute providers. Always, like NVIDIA, Intel, and so on and so forth. So those who provide the computational power to run all those things, they're very expensive. They are very energy consuming. And I don't hear anyone is screaming and shouting about global warming. These things can add more to to that problem than (laughs) all the cows, all the cars that we think about in the future, of course, but it's still a trend. So anyways, the computational layer it's really the bottom of all the whole pillar of AI. We have models. We have LLMs. We have other computational things. But that's the kind of a second layer. Those are now. And they're going to be more and more. And they're going to be vertically specialized. You you don't want to use GPT-4 for skin cancer image recognition, would you? Or to do the brain surgery. No, because the model has not been designed for that. And there will be models that are really oriented. Our model, for example, Hercules is one of them. It's designed for specific tasks. I'll tap into what it does and why it's so cool. But it's nothing like GPT. It can't turn your uh, financial statement into a poem, Shakespeare style. But no one designed (laughs) it for doing that. Then on top of that, you have, let's say, abstraction layer, the infrastructure abstraction layer. That's how enterprises are going to be using models and the computational power. That's That's the bridge connecting the LLMs of outside world with enterprise data. And that's where zero sits. That's our layer, abstraction layer. And then on top of it, there is, I call it AI fluff, basically all of those companies, all those startups and solution applications that pop up like mushroom after, after the rain, but basically wrappers around the lambs. And in this particular case, GPT for, and we know recently, uh, open AI released plugins. And overnight chat GPT became a, a biggest app store. Or to be the biggest app store, empowering things. It's not just the model anymore, it's the whole ecosystem. And actually, for the ecosystem, it's great because a lot of a, a lot of problems around the large range models right now, it's such an, a cool technology. It's an amazing technology. But what are the real use cases? We're still at the very early stage of discovering what are those use cases we can apply these technologies to, especially for enterprises. We are not talking about generating cat riding a bicycle on the moon type of images, right, with mid-journey. Talking about real use cases that either provide revenue, reduce manual work, or both, right, for enterprises. And those use cases still need to be discovered. So right now, this is a Petri, Petri dish in which all of those tiny applications on top of GPT are being born, and we'll see what will come out of it and those who will survive will eventually go into enterprise market because that's where the money is that's where the real use cases are and that's where hundreds of millions of people who want to be these geniuses in the middle between those two (laughs) circles waiting for something like this to be brought in and we see ourselves exactly as that bridge between the corporate data and the outside world of LLMs and how it can be brought in. Because right now we know that an enterprise is a huge mode between the outside AI things and the inside corporate data, it's very sensitive. And no one in his own her mind would send this corporate data outside to open AI to be processed. So Microsoft though, gives an <coughs> interesting flavor into this. You of course saw this Copilot thing. And a lot of people think about this as a top layer saying, oh my emails are going to be auto generated for me or i can ask microsoft powerpoint to create a presentation for me it's an amazing applications right those are real use cases small use cases but what people sometimes don't realize what microsoft changed and what they're bringing into the in the enterprise environment is ability to work across applications without api So basically, when you talk to an application, you give it a prompt. You're saying, hey, I want you to do this instead of sending an API call, which is like old school software would do. And in this case, API calls, they are very limited in what you can describe it with and what you want it to do. But with a prompt to automation kind of a concept or prompt to application, the possibilities of other AI systems to communicate within a Microsoft environment and Microsoft applications become enormous. That gives possibilities to create a chain of applications communicating between themselves or getting prompts as APIs between themselves. So all of that combined provides enterprises with unlimited possibilities to automate things, enhance processes, get insights and get the work done. That's a it's amazing achievement.
1: There's just a tremendous amount to to unpack from all that. And so like I'm in I've got a huge smile on my face because it's a it's just such an exciting vision for how AI can really change things and be very impactful in the enterprise, but it's also completely overwhelming at the same time.
2: Five years and five days, right, Patrick? That's what we discussed. Yeah. That's how It, it feels.
1: Amazing. The So like some of the things that you said there, I think just make a ton of sense, especially around the vertical sort of alignment of these types of models. Because I, I think the example you mentioned was like skin cancer. That hits home for me because my wife is a pediatric nurse. She works in pediatric oncology and the application of AI to those sorts of scenarios is something that is tremendously like exciting. And there's lots of advances in that there's genomic research and things like this, that people actually generate specific treatments based on your genes. Right. And for a specific type of aggressive cancer or whatever. And I imagine there's like untold sort of applications of AI in that space. But we didn't, we're not here to talk about the medical applications of it. We're really focused on the enterprise applications. And you talk a lot about like the productivity gains, the, the getting people into that genius mode, which I, I'm starting to really appreciate the analogy there. Like I, I want to be seen as a genius. There's so many things in terms of automation, in terms of like the types of collaboration we do. Can you Is there any way you can give us maybe some real-world examples of what are some things like you're seeing with your customers today that these are the types of processes that they're automating, and these are the types of inputs and outputs and returns that they're seeing from
2: the investment that they're making in this technology? Yeah, it's a number one question for everyone. Like, It's all so cool and great, and technology is advancing forward so fast, but what is the real ROI, right? What is the... If we invest into this and everyone knows that's the future and everyone wants to be in the future, no one wants to be left in the past, but what we can get right now, right? So that's the ROI overnight. That's what everyone is looking for. And those are specifically tied to the use cases. But before we get into use cases, it's really important to understand what those use cases, all of them are based on. And they based on the internal data of each enterprise is different. Might be consulting, might be accounting, might be financial services, might be legal, you name it, manufacturing, all of it, healthcare. But every enterprise sits on a huge swamp of data. And that swamp becomes more and more and deeper. And that data is unstructured. Those are emails, those are documents, these are activities that every knowledge worker accumulates while working inside the enterprise. Of course, there's a piece of a structured data which is in the database but typically it's 80 20% ratio here 80% of the data is unstructured and in this unstructured data the most valuable insights the most valuable portion of knowledge is being locked so in order to basically do understand what the real business use case might be what it can what ai can help people with we need to understand what is locked inside, inside this data and before it becomes structured before ai actually processes it makes it structured to feed into other models who would actually do the automation itself. So it's a multi-step process. It's not, okay, I have a magic wand and I wave it and I have the process automated. It doesn't work this way. It's AI helping AI to actually help AI to get things done. So it's multi-step process. Otherwise, you just use the magic one instead of what you do, you want it to do, you'll turn something into a frog, which in enterprise case might be data breach or something wrong happening. And that's what we at Zero have been focusing for quite some time. We are getting with our, that's what I was talking about, Hercules, our engine prepares that data and unlocks those use cases. Now I'll give you examples. So for example, let's say you mentioned that before. You don't like doing your emails. No one likes. Emails are piling up in your inbox. You need to reply. You need to find information and so on and so forth. But in this case, AI can actually work as your co-pilot to help you with your emails. Prioritize them, summarizing them, unlocking the insights from the emails, making sure you don't miss the deadline. Or if you are, simple example, and we have one of the modules doing exactly that for enterprises. Let's say you're writing an email to to your client. Let's say it's John Smith and you attach a document and let's say it's a very sensitive document, like cash flow or PNL report, and you hit the send button, then you immediately realize that was wrong. John, you send it to like happened to every one of us, right? It's like such a common mistake. But if AI is working in the background and labeling every single piece of your data, it can see that the sender you're sending this document to and the document itself are from different project, though. There might be John Smith in one, for one client and John Smith in another client, but those are different people, and you're just going to expose the sensitive data. So AI copilot can stop you from doing it. Actually, does that saying, "Wait a second, wrong John." A very tiny example, but if you multiply it by hundreds and hundreds of use cases. You get a next level of productivity and a lower level of potential mistakes made. Another example, you got an email from someone, one of your colleagues asking for a report, a status report on particular case or a project you're working on. Typically what people do, they go to specific systems. They find the information, combine it together, put it into Word document, and then spend four, four hours, whatever number of hours it is compiling the report, right? Now machine can do it in a millisecond because it knows what you're doing. It knows where the data is and it learns from your previously written reports, knowing what you want to do. So in this case, you get 95% of the work done. And here is your draft report with all the actual data. And now you can fine tune it a bit, change a couple of words, and send it to someone who requested it. It will mimic the way you create the report so it doesn't sound like Shakespeare. So in this case, that's how machines can help you in everyday tasks. And the problem right now, some of the companies are falling into, they try to build the spaceship, finding the big problems they want to solve, but actually the most of the productivity gains locked in those smaller processes that needs to be unlocked. Because there's so many of those and we can talk the whole day identifying those communication, document creation, summarization, analysis, reporting and so on and so forth. So once those solved, that will be time for bigger challenges. But that's going to be probably next five to 10 years. And in our case, we focus on providing enterprises with this engine, Hercules, that prepares the data, structures unstructured data, enriches it, depersonalizes it. And then you can use any models. You can use GPT. You can use Lambda. You can use whatever you want, internal models. So we are that bridge over the moat that enterprises can use to get to the power of those models without external models, without compromising the security and privacy. We are that kind of a level, but also that unlocks a lot of abilities to build automation modules on top of it. And that's what also our ancient provides. Yeah. Clients can build those themselves. We can help them to build those. We call them SAMs, skilled AI modules. And that's what we all want in our everyday life. And of course, there are so many other modules popping up right now. And that's what we were talking about. Let them come in, let them help our clients, other enterprises to actually get maximum value out of this whole ecosystem.
0: Mm. You mentioned as part of that privacy, some of the advantages that obviously you guys do as well. And I would imagine for the naysayers out there, we've gone through a whole revolution of kind of Social media, right? When I think when it first started it, everyone went on board. It was free. That's great. Now they're selling my data, and everyones, I don't care. Now they do care. Now they really care. <laughs> and I assume there are similar people concerned about centralized, LM, these kind of chat GPTs grabbing all the data and then making their own assumptions about things or and and I know from my own experience of so some of the early Microsoft stuff like the analytics, looking at your email and things like that. People wanted to anonymize the data and things like that. What are the concerns really around data privacy specifically like accuracy as well, because Mm -hmm. it might get some truth, but then it might make a determination that it's not change its opinion and how can they be addressed?
2: So those are two biggest concerns right now that the organizations, enterprise clients have actually three number one is the data which we already discussed the data unstructured data and how it can be turned into structure second is this uh, phenomenon of hallucination if you have a large language model trained on internet scale you can you will get internet scale biases there's no way to avoid it that's the fact but enterprises especially when attacking the processes or automating the processes that are really important and mission critical they have to have assurance that it's going to be 100% accurate, not 60% accurate, not 70%, not even 90%. It should be 100% accurate. Imagine AI system generating a financial statement report and hallucinates the number. Instead of $2 billion in revenue, it says $1 billion in revenue. Well, whatever, I'm making things up. But it puts the wrong number in. And then that number is being migrating around other reports and other AI systems, pick it up, and it eventually <coughs> it gets into the financial report of a public company. I'm just bringing up as example, but there are so many smaller examples that can basically grow into much bigger problems. So AI for enterprises should be hundred percent reliable and it's not right now. So it's really important to get the source of truth and that's again the enterprise data itself so there should be a system and that's what our engine also is doing it's verifying and always traces back the data and parameters to the initial initial kind of a moment where it was the prompt was created so basically verifying the output so it's 100% reliable and because we work with banks when in financial institutions law firms and accounting firms these folks are absolutely adamant about the quality of AI, right? The output should be 100% reliable. So no space for hallucinations. And that's a big problem. This the second piece, actually, the first one you mentioned, Charles, is privacy, data privacy. Mm -hmm. And again, enterprises, they accumulate enormous amount of data, and it's a very sensitive data. If you feed it somewhere to to the outside company or a model, and you say, Mr. Mister CTO or CISO at this company, please don't use our data. It's not going to happen this way, of course. But eventually, you're giving up the most important thing you have inside your organization, your data. And no chief security officer would allow that to happen. And in this case, you basically separate it from the outside, the power of outside models. And you're, you can use only what you have inside. Data preparation enrichment and depersonalization that what can help you use those models because they are great. This this GPT four is an amazing model for reasoning summarization translation. Why not to use it? You can if you have the data prepared the right way, you're not sending everything there, but you use one model, much smaller model to actually get your data prepared so you can send the right prompt with no sensitive data in it into a larger model outside, then get back the output and then retransform it back to what you want it to have. So those are specialized models. That's what Hercules is doing, right? So those things are going to be addressed. They are being addressed right now. They're going to be evolve, evolving. It's going to be more effective, more and more. We're just at the very beginning of this era of how enterprises can leverage those outside systems. The commodity LLMs, and they will eventually, and they are right now.
0: I assume these small building blocks that we're talking about that aids in the accuracy, right? So if you do little small tasks, correct, but it doesn't actually maybe send the email, but it just writes the email for you and asks you to verify yes. before it sets sent. Then at that point, it can then determine what was correct and what was not, absolutely, to aid in the improved accuracy. Correct, and also
2: important, very important parameter here is human in the loop. So, for example, yeah. when we deploy our automation modules and on top of Hercules for our enterprise clients, we always have a human in the loop component. It serves two ways. First, it gives people control over what AI has produced, building up trust, because if you're in control, if you have to verify, it helps you build trust. And that's what we need to uh, users to have. On a second, it's reinforcement learning with human in the loop. So once if machine makes a mistake or there are slight changes, needed, it might not be a mistake, but user corrects it a bit. That creates extra layer of data never existed before. And that data is being used in that loop to fine tune models and work better and better. So for example, if module writes an email for Patrick and Patrick corrects it saying, hey, that's how I want you to say that machine will learn from it. Next time it will do it the way Patrick already suggested. And no time, it would be working the way Patrick wants, and it would be very fine-tuned for Patrick' model. And if he wants to jump to another model that never been fine-tuned, he has to go through the same process. So it's an internal mode as well for when people get something done for them for they need, fit to their needs. It's really powerful.
1: And I imagine also there's some countries like when we talk enterprise organizations, we're typically in many cases we're talking about global organizations and there's parts of the globe that are less accepting of these technologies to maybe put it kindly countries like Germany where monitoring of individual an individual's work is really strictly controlled and prohibited so where do these sorts of models fit into to that space? Is that,
2: are those seen as limitations? Are there ways to work with them to build the trust? It's a really interesting question. And the real answer is we don't know yet, right? So this whole thing is moving so fast. No legislation can adapt to it this fast. Like literally it takes much more time to... You probably guys seen what was happening with crypto, especially in United States. Laws are being adopted and conversation being held for a long time. Still, no one knows what to do with it. AI is moving so fast that adaptability to local laws or customs or whatever will take time, right? And it will break a lot of bones before everything heals back together. So we'll see how it evolves. I can speak about what's happening in United States here and the simple answer is, like, no one knows what regulation for AI would look like because we're at the very beginning. So yeah. we'll see. And I guess in it's order interesting to topic.
1: understand what the regulations would be, we'd probably have to have a functional government to create
2: the regulations as well. <laughs> I I hope they can use Chat GPT to help them with some regulations. <laughs> yes. I things up. Chat GPT,
1: please draft regulations for your own. Yeah, your <laughs> That's where for, we opened this, the
2: Yeah, that's where we opened the another Pandora box.
1: Thing. Well that actually brings us to another topic, which is the labor markets associated with this. Perhaps if Chat GPT can replace our government's responsibility for drafting legislation. I but I think kidding, of course, but I think this is one of the areas that maybe begins to like instill fear in people because we see things like AI models generating art and music, and they're writing articles, they're doing some of these creative tasks that have traditionally been the place of, of a human being to create. And I guess you can argue this is it's just an alternative maybe method of, of creation. Um, but now you're seeing ChatGPT or other AMI, AI models that you can generate code, you can generate PowerShell scripts, you can using it to automate these types of tasks. And, you know, what traditionally maybe took a developer, a small team, an engineer to create. Now you can do with literally maybe like a few sentences. So where does that leave us in terms of the labor markets, the job creation, and the general sort of consensus on like, where does this land, the white collar knowledge worker in the future? Are we you know, are we going to be in the soup line? Or are we going to be training our robot uh, replacements?
2: Ah, <laughs> uh, it's such a big can of worms you just opened up. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I don't know even how to That's uh, why it. I
1: asked the question. I know. <laughs> there's I, uh, a
0: positive side there, right? Because there's also potential for addressing labor shortages as well, right? There's a double that's sword on this all the time.
2: <laughs> exactly, Giles. About five years ago, there was a report, I don't remember it was McKinsey or Corn Fairy, and they stated that with the type of transformation that we go through and becoming more of a knowledge economy rather than manufacturing economy, we will have by 2030, we'll have 85 million shortage a deficit of knowledge workers 85 million and that those are going to be very it's not at such a big number in a scale of the planet but actually was united states and uk canada and and europe so it's pretty big actually shortage yeah. and that would result in about 8.5 trillion dollars worth of unrealized revenue so that was prediction and the way to solve it of course with ai like, you can't replicate knowledge of the knowledge workers or experience. You can't copy-paste people. It's technically impossible. So in this case, basically providing people to do more with less, the existing knowledge workers, provide them tools to provide more work, that's the way to address that the labor shortage, because it's inevitable. It just will change. Some stuff that people were actually spending a lot of time on will go away, and they'll be focusing on important stuff. So... AI can suggest to you if you're a marketer. It can suggest you some parameters of a marketing campaign. It can even create you some of a, like some of the images. And but someone still needs to tell AI what to do. So I would say we went from the labor economy, physical labor economy, to knowledge economy. Now we're going into imagination economy because a person with a minimal imagination will not be able to tell AI. On a high level what what this person wants from ai to do and the people who will be able to talk to ai the right way will be the most paid professionals it's really critical and important because if you can't explain what you want you will not get it or if you're explaining it the wrong way or lousy way you'll get the lousy results so the way we work will change but not what we do and i don't believe that ai will make I would say entry-level positions to work 100x more effective or better it will be just 100x faster but the results going to be the same mid-level or entry level so super professionals will provide the same level of quality of the output but just faster the same will happen to the mid-level and the entry-level positions so there are so many flavors in this problem and I do believe that AI will not replace people, it will replace only the people who are not using AI. If you're not using AI, you're not competitive. You can't be competitive with someone who is doing the same work 100 times faster. It's like electricity and horsepower. So
1: in short, don't panic. Uh,
2: do get say, involved? Yeah, panic is yeah. never helpful. So let's start <laughs> with that. Panic, panic is the worst strategy ever. What we need to do is basically see where the applications, but On the other hand, I don't want to downplay the importance of or changes that this whole thing will have on a society. It will change things because of the speed of development. That's how fast it is, right? Mark Anderson, many years ago, said software is eating the world. It was true because software was getting into the industries that were not traditionally for software, but still software was eating the world. Now AI is eating the software that ate the world. So yep. that's how it turned out. And
1: you're exactly right in that cuz like everything you've talked about today, there there have been parallels in enterprise technology for years, right? There's we went from C style coding to then .net to you no know, power platform. So there all along the way there's always been this sort of democratization of technology for the masses. And I think that what I'm seeing here is like AI is just a next evolution Of that, it's the democratization, so that now everything's just going to be faster. Everything's going to be bigger, faster, better, more, all at the same time. Something along those lines. So yeah, it's it's extremely interesting. It's it's obviously a hot topic among the industry. Really cool stuff. I think, Giles, I believe we are probably getting towards the end of our time here with yeah. Alex. Alex, I would love to give you just an opportunity to talk a little bit about Zero Systems, how people can get in touch with you if they want to reach out and learn more about this fascinating topic, if they want to reach out to you to to for a demo to talk about how it might impact their business. Let the folks know on Enterprise Influencers podcast how
2: they can get a hold of you and you know where to where to hit you up. Thank you, Patrick. Yes. So zerosystems.com. That's the way to reach out to us. You can also see some use cases there and what we do for enterprises, our clients. And if if you're an enterprise that is interested in bringing in AI inside the security perimeter rather than the other way around, uh, and you have you are working in regulated industries, or you just don't want to send the data outside, but you still want to leverage the power of large language models and other AI technologies. That's what we do with our, uh, with the help of our Hercules engine. We just got a cool vendor from Gartner just for doing that and being kind of this abstract layer, an infrastructure layer for enterprises when they work with the data and bringing in AI. That's what we help our clients with. We work with Fortune 1000 primarily, but there are other clients as well. But that's that's what we do and that's how we help our clients. Amazing.
1: And Alex I did warn you before we before <laughs> the broadcast it is time for your your fun fact. What fun fact would you like to share with the Enterprise Influencers audience?
2: It doesn't have to be a fun fact it could be an anecdote a joke or really whatever you'd like to share with us. Oh, you make things even more complicated. Okay. So fa- <laughs> fact but it's any. Actually I would being a nerd in a, I don't know it's a good way or bad way of You're, saying thing. In, in, in good yeah. company. Good company. Oh, yeah yeah <laughs> being nerd. Nerds have nerdy hobbies. So I probably have one of the most nerdy, weird hobbies in the valley. I know just a couple of here in Silicon Valley. I know a couple of people doing the same thing for hobby as I do. But when I tell people what my hobby is and why my hobby is that way, they just like, okay, that's next level of nuts. doing blacksmithing and not just regular blacksmithing. I'm doing Japanese swords blacksmithing. Uh, And yes, katanas, wakizashis, and like it takes about six months to make a sword. And that's specifically the reason I'm doing it for, because it's more of a meditation. And it's such a process when you have to follow meticulously, follow the process and you screw up with one tiny thing, you have to start again, right? So it's a meditation and self-discipline. And at the end you get something beautiful, or at least I think it's beautiful. Probably some professional Smiths in Japan would say, that's not what considered to be beautiful, but it's beautiful to me. And you get something at the end that you can actually have in your hands and give as gifts. So I never keep those swords. I give them as gifts. So probably by now you can have a bit of an Japanese samurai here armed with my swords in the valley in case someone needs that. So that's my weird fact, but it's, it helps me to concentrate and have a bit more of a self-discipline.
1: That is a fantastic fun fact. Yes. And this, folks, is why we do this. (laughs) Alex, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. We greatly appreciate all the valuable insights that you've brought to us. I know I, for one, have a much better understanding of the enterprise AI market, thanks to you, sir. And so it's been a great pleasure. Giles, it's that time. You want to take us out? Sure. Yeah,
0: the discussion's been fascinating. Thank you for your time as usual you can find this podcast in all the usual places spotify google apple youtube all that kind of stuff and thank everybody for listening thanks
2: thank you everyone okay. bye everybody everyone.
0: thanks everyone bye bye